1: Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money.
2: We give common sense solutions to your complex problems.
1: I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and an investment advisor with over 20 years' experience providing financial planning and investment advice.
2: And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey local provider. I also have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years.
1: We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly radio show. We are right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m.
2: Yeah, you can go to our website as well. We have some pretty cool stuff out there. The podcast, we're getting good feedback from our clients. A lot of clients say they can't necessarily connect with us on Saturday morning, so they go out to our website, and the podcasts are out there for the last several months. So make it easy. Download the show right there. You can also listen to us, uh, obviously,
1: online. Um, You can link to us right there on our website, MoneyMD.net, where you can stream us. Um, also, we'd love to have your questions. So you can email us. Uh, again, you can link to us from our website, or you can email us directly at info.moneymd.net. Well, John, um, you know, we have an awesome show lined up. Before that, I mean, wasn't it an incredible Masters?
2: It always is. I mean, I yeah, love really that time is. of the year.
1: I do, too. I do, too. It was just amazing to see Jordan Spieth, you know, just put on a clinic, really. I mean, he went from day one straight through and every time he had a little bit of a, mm-hmm. a mess up you know which which they all do i mean he came right back he With was a birdie just, or
2: saving par it's amazing 21 years old how mature that kid is he really as is as a kid he's a young adult but he really, he is. really is to handle you think about 21 and some of the shots he was required to make. Probably he, he had never had those shots before in his career because he's so young and phenomenal. He really is. a, And I like his attitude as well. Very, very positive. I do,
1: too. I do, too. I think he's going to be the new golf hero, you know, for quite some time so to come. I agree. Yeah, and, he seems like the all-American boy. So yep. it was just uh, just a great Masters, you know. Turned out to be good weather, you know, other than a shower or two. I mean, so mm-hmm. what a great, great event, great time of the year to be in Augusta.
2: That's right. Augusta so. and April.
1: That yeah. was fun. But speaking of great time of the year, you know, it's 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 not. It's a great time of the year now that we're past tax season. Let me put it that way. <laughs>
2: That's right. It
1: was a brutal tax season. So we're going to give a little review on on taxes um, as part of our segments here. And um, the first segment we're going to talk about is how to soften next year's tax hit now mm-hmm. because. You need to start planning for next year right now to reposition yourself to lower your tax bill. And there are some things you can do.
2: Yes, that's right. You you want to do that. You want to. Take it stick it to Uncle Sam right you do and you better start now so don't don't hang up the tax you know yeah that's uh, right and do some planning exactly and we've got an article after that it's called the psychology of saving and you know Steve when we when we talk with folks um, we can run numbers and calculations but there's also a psychological uh, impact to f- the finances and, and we're going to give some examples I'm going to share some some Dave Ramsey psychological uh, things that he he talks about and is kind of inherent in his process but this is a great article kind of gets into the the, uh, the soft side of finance a little bit.
1: Yeah, that's going to be a good one. And then we're going to head right into um, kind of our final topic is the shell oil boom that we've so enjoyed here for like six or seven years now is turning to gloom. Mm. The boom turns to gloom. It's already quite a Bloomberg, you know, just talking about how the the lower oil prices now are are really changing the picture. On, uh, on on the shell oil boom, and, and it's really, you know, it's affecting the economy, particularly in the oil-producing regions of the country. So we're going to talk about that. It's it's interesting how fast things respond to price changes. Mm-hmm. Free markets work, and, and yeah. the market's adjusting
2: very, very quickly. Yeah, no doubt. Interesting. So it is very interesting.
1: Okay, but we're going to start off here, though, with our financial fact of the week.
2: Well, Steve, this comes from uh, Bloomberg. Again, great uh, great source of business uh, data and information. and. Uh, you know, we've been talking about searching for yield, trying to get more yield from yes. um, different fixed-income products. Well, I have a solution.
1: Oh, good. Yes. Good. Yeah. I like
2: it. Yeah, Mexico is selling 100-year government bonds. Oh, 100 years. <laughs> wow, I guess we won't be holding that one to maturity, will yeah, we? Yeah, they, they, they mature in March of 2000. One hundred and fifteen. My goodness, can't even say that right. Twenty-one fifteen, and they yield four point two percent. So what a great deal. <laughs>
1: well, let's lock into four point two percent for the rest of our lives, <laughs> and in our kids' lives, and then some. I mean, come on. I mean, four point two percent. You know, I've heard a long term, but then that, that is, is long term.
2: With Mexico, go- I mean, I just uh, it with blew Mexi- me away. So uh, probably not on the recommended list of securities to buy. Right?
1: No, I mean, talk about long term. Can you imagine how? much that's going to lose when short-term rates go back to, say, 5%, oh, long-term no.
2: rates are maybe 7 or 8 Yeah, it's going to be huge. Yeah, I
1: mean, that the would interest lose. interest
2: rate risk there is massive. Sometimes you can hold the bond until maturity and get par back, but it's 100 years out. That's not
1: going to happen. So, yeah, you're going to have to sell it at some point, and if interest rates are higher, it's going to be down. Yeah, so that's, that's funny. You know, in today's world, we always recommend in today's world of very low rates, you want to be short and high quality. This is neither short nor high quality, in my opinion. (laughs) This is the exact opposite. (laughs) Stay away from that one. (laughs) Interesting fact of the week, though. All right, and that leads up to our first topic here, and that is talking about taxes, John. I mean, now, if you're like me, you probably don't want to think about taxes again until next year um, because it was kind of a painful tax season. But, you know, the time to start softening the hit for next April is right now. And fortunately, there are quite a few things you can do now to help lower your tax bill for next year. I mean, taxes are like that unpaid traffic ticket. You want to forget about it, but it is much too important. So you have to plan accordingly. You have to do something now. And yeah, it was a painful week. You know, I owed owed taxes this year. Um, I went I went as far as the download both Tax Act and TurboTax to see and and see if I could save some money in the other program, and it did help a little bit. You know, but um. And speaking of which, since I did that, I wanted to give a quick review here of those two programs because I think it's interesting. You know, I mean, people don't really you heard a lot of talk about turbo taxes you're up in their fees and and they they went up quite a bit and then they kind of backed off of that and started giving you free upgrades and credits um, So since I just used both of them, you know, I, I wanted to give a quick review of those two. And so I used TurboTax and I used TaxAct. They actually didn't quite agree on my return, even though I verified I entered everything exactly the same. Interesting. But, I, you know, I, I have a business, so my taxes are a little more complicated than most people. And and I had some obscure stuff off of some K-1s that they treated a little bit differently. For most people, they wouldn't have those, and, and they seem to agree otherwise, so I don't think people need to worry about that. Tax Act is much cheaper, and it handled everything that you needed in Mm -hmm. their $22 version. That's a pretty good deal. I thought it was a pretty good deal. I had to fork out $55 to get the TurboTax, and I had to get the free upgrade, which probably won't be there next year, Mm -hmm. to get everything I needed, so that's more than double right there, and then I had to pay another $40 for an extra state in TurboTax compared to only $19 in, in tax act because I needed two states. Right. Since I live in South Carolina and mm-hmm. work in Georgia. Um, so, and then TurboTax wants $19 to file a state return, whereas it's only like 10 bucks in tax act. So the bottom line is it would have cost me about $140 to prepare and to file in TurboTax, whereas it was only $60 in tax act, and that's for everything. Mm-hmm so it's less than half i think for most people i would simply suggest for tax
2: software use tax act it's just a lot cheaper and it does fine did you um do your kids returns and Was well, that all included in the in the process or do you have to yeah, pay extra
1: well it was um um i'm trying to think now i think uh it was included, but you still have to pay for the state to right. file
2: the state. Right,
1: right. I think the uh, it was free, it was free for the federal. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's in tax act. Um, the big difference, you know, in the two, what the limitation tax act has is it, it has limited 1099 import capabilities, and it only allows you to import the gains, capital gains and losses, but not the dividend information like TurboTax does. Um, But that's easy enough for most people to manually type in, unless you have a whole bunch of investment accounts. You know, if you only have one or two investment accounts that are taxable, you just type that stuff in. It's not very hard. So anyway... um I actually noticed a mo- minor error in both programs, hmm. quite frankly, dealing with the business income. So most people would never, right. wouldn't even run into that. Um, so my bottom line there is Tax Act, I think, is quite adequate. It's a much better value. That's what I would suggest most people use. So so that's the software review. But back to the tax hit for next year. Fortunately, there are some things you can do to position yourself now to save taxes next April.
2: Yeah, and one of them is pretty obvious, but um, put more in retirement plans. I'm I mean, by far the biggest lever that you have to uh, pull in savings on taxes is to put more in retirement plans. You can put up to about fifty-five hundred for 2015 into a Roth or IRA, uh, or about sixty-five hundred if you're over fifty. So you have a um, catch-up provision. 401ks um, you can put up to uh, about eighteen thousand dollars if you're under fifty, and twenty-four thousand if you're if you're over fifty. So if you're self-employed, you got SEP. Um, IRA, which is about fifty-three thousand or twenty-five percent of your income. So I, I do see people that don't take advantage of this, um, and they had the ability to. So you know, you've got to you've got to look and make sure that everything is funded to reduce the taxes. If you can afford to put it in there you know, do it because it's going to help you tax bill wise.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt that is by far your biggest tool for reducing your tax bill. There are not a lot of credits out there anymore, you know, other than education and things like that. But the biggest thing you can change in your situation is make sure you fully fund a retirement plan because it's tax deductible, um, you know, tax deferred. And uh, like you said, the SEP, you can go all the way up to Mm $53,000. That's a huge, huge deduction. So we'll come back From the break, we'll continue with these. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706 739 0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back with these messages. money md where the money doctors are in the house i'm steve marbert a certified financial planner and i'm here with john travis who is a dave ramsey local provider and we are continuing our discussion here before the break um about how to soften next year's tax hit now um you know john if you have to start now if you're going to make any dent in your taxes, come next April.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the taxes are—it's frustrating. I think you know there's a there's a war on middle class um, from Boy, taxes. There is, they there is they, um, taxes are going to increase in the future. So this is a very very important area.
1: It is. I mean, it's creeping in, and and you know you can see it. I mean, coming with 18 trillion dollars in debt. I mean, mm-hmm. the you know taxes are not going to go down. I just I just can't see how they could possibly. You know, have another tax cut.
2: <clears throat> well, and you and you see uh, politicians that are starting to um, float ideas out about um, taking away tax advantages. They did that with the um, 529 plans, uh, right. A couple months right. ago, and they got beat down on it. But the government's looking for ways to um, to get your get your money, basically.
1: They are, they are, and I mean, they've already increased taxes a lot on the mm-hmm. higher income folks that most people don't don't even know about, you know. But it has gone way up, and the marginal rate now is about forty four and a half percent. People don't realize that, but um, but for the average middle class folks, you know, they're paying fifteen percent or twenty five percent. It's going to creep up in the future, so you you got to adjust this. You know, every year you have to look at this and reposition yourself. And now is the time to start doing that. And so, you know, step one, as we mentioned here, was put more money in retirement plans. Um, you you got to up your retirement contribution. It, the limit goes up every year, so if you're not if you're not upping up in it to keep up with Inflation and the adjusted limits, then you're missing out on some some nice deductions there. So, yeah, I mean, uh, <clears throat> you know, just in an IRA, you can put up to sixty five hundred if you're over fifty, mm-hmm. and uh, SEP IRA, um, wow, it goes all the way up to fifty three thousand dollars now. 401K is so.
2: Ks twenty four if you're over fifty. So there's some good savings vehicles, no doubt. Exactly,
1: exactly. Now the second one here is one of my favorite, John, just because it's it's one that a lot of people don't use and they don't even really understand. <clears throat> and and it's a top of the line deduction and that is paying or putting money into uh, a flexible spending account or a health savings
2: account. Yeah, these are huge.
1: They, they really are. I mean, it, it's, you know, the numbers may not seem big, but they really add up quickly. You know, employers, most um, many employers have flexible spending accounts. They usually allow employees to put about $2,500 per employee or 5000 per family, goes in tax-free, and gets used for any type of medical expenses, including eye and dental care. However, those are kind of a use-it-or-lose-it type yeah. plan. And I, my favorite actually is the health savings account because mm-hmm. that's not a use-it-and-lose-it option. Um, you can even put a little more in. Uh, as long as you have a qualified health savings qu- uh, account-qualified medical plan, in other words, a high-deductible medical plan that qualifies, then in which most – employers have that option now.
2: Yeah, I think Obamacare has a lot of them.
1: They do. The There's care. a lot of them out there. So you probably are using one of those plans. If you're not, you can probably change to one, you know, next time it re-ups. Um, but those health savings accounts that go along with them allow you to put up the $6,650 per family along with a $1,000 catch-up if you're over 50. Um, so that 'd be like seventy six fifty per family if you 're over fifty, and that 's on a top of the line adjustment to your income um, so it 's all deductible the, and then the money comes out tax free um, if it 's used for qualified medical expenses so also there 's no income limit
2: yeah so to put that in perspective if you 're putting seventy six hundred dollars in there and you 're in a twenty five percent federal tax bracket. 5% state. That's 30% you're going to save on that $7,600. I mean, that's like 2200 bucks that you're going to get back.
1: Exactly. It's, it's going to save
2: number. you right off taxes.
1: And then the money's going to come out tax-free. I mean, that is crazy good because you get the deduction like it's an IRA, and then you get the tax-free benefit of a Roth. It's like combining the two. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there is no better tax benefit on the planet short of a credit. Um, I mean, furthermore, they allow you to accumulate your expenses forever to use against the, this plan to take it out later tax-free as long as you had the plan open. You can start accumulating your medical expenses from that point on. I mean, Kathy and I have one of these. We've been loading it up for years and investing it all in equities inside the plan um, so it's accumulated a nice little nest egg for for future medical expenses. I kind of refer to it as my self insured long term care plan with tax deductible premiums.
2: Yeah, that's a pretty good deal. <laughs> it really it is. It really is the only account that out there that that you get a tax break coming in and there's no taxes on the back end. So that's yeah, that's it, a fantastic one. It is. Here's another good one. Um, invest for uh, long term gains instead of just dividends or maybe short term gains. And Steve, again, this this can't be uh, understated in today's world. Long- Long-term gains are taxed at a 0% federal rate if you're in the 15% marginal bracket. They will not Zero. tax it at all. Doesn't get much lower than that. It, it doesn't. I mean, that's phenomenal. And that covers most married couples up to about 95000 of gross income. After that, long-term gains are taxed at 15% for most people. Uh, so you need to maximize this tax break in your investments. Um, you know, With ordinary income rates, as you mentioned earlier, up to 44%, for the marginal side, you need to take make sure that your gains are mostly long-term before you tax. But even the 15% rate is reasonable. I mean, there's talk about them increasing that to 20% or even, you know, ordinary income rates as well. So this is something that needs to be looked at. Yeah,
1: it really is. It really is. I mean, ordinary rates go up to 44%. So you want to get Mm long-term capital gains rates. And that means investing in a very tax-efficient funds with very little turnover, great diversification. And fortunately, you know, we at Rich Young Associates have – Great tax managed portfolios that do this very thing, and it makes a big difference come tax time each year and you know i mean by the by the way, those lower long term rates make annuities less attractive since all their gains are eventually taxed at ordinary income rates, mm-hmm. so I would think twice about an annuity for this reason alone, um, so that 's a good one then the fourth one here on the list is giving away long term gains if you give away if you give routinely. Um, So if you routinely give money to charities like your church on a routine basis, you may want to consider giving away appreciated investments out of a taxable account. Now, this doesn't work for everybody, but, you know, if you have stocks or mutual funds that have big gains, you know, giving shares of those investments away will avoid the capital gains tax on those investments and allow you to give more money away to the charity. And then you can sell your investments, um, the charity can, Mm -hmm. tax-free, and everybody avoids the tax.
2: Yeah, and another another thing that we've talked about in the past, Steve, is saving college money in a five twenty nine plan. Um, college saving plans are a great way to invest tax free for qualified education expenses. Um, hate to admit though, the accounting uh, there's some administration to this. Um, yeah, there is solution here, but uh, the tax benefits are fantastic. I mean, you know, we've both been taking money out of that, paying for our kids. A lot of it's been in there for a number of years, so there's a big earnings piece, and we're taking that out tax-free there's that's no, exactly right no taxes at all in the state of South Carolina you also get a seven percent if you're in a uh, tax bracket of seven percent you get to reduce uh, your income by the amount that you put in there so if let's say you put in you know a thousand bucks into the 529 plan and you're in a seven percent tax bracket that's seventy dollars you'll save for every thousand that's a fantastic deal that is right Ge- up front G- Georgie it's capped at about two thousand dollars per year of income that you can put in but 529 plans are you know another great way Way of reducing your tax bill um, you know for this year yeah that's
1: really is good. I mean, the limit for putting money into those is huge, so you can and you can always take the money back out without penalty if your kids get some big scholarship and you don 't have enough other expenses but you know, that's not going to happen. I mean, since most colleges are are very expensive nowadays, room and board alone run over $10,000 a year at just about any state-supported school. It certainly does at Clemson, I can tell you that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you don't use it all, then you can pass it down to other family members, too, like your grandkids. You know, if you have uh, kids headed toward college, I would certainly recommend loading up a 529 plan and getting your state tax deduction if it's available in your state. Um, So... Yeah, that's a really good plan. So, I mean, the takeaways here are, you know, there's still plenty of ways to lower your tax hit for next year, but you have to start now to position yourself, know the rules, get your money allocated in the right places to ease your tax burden down the road. It's going to take a little effort and planning, but, you know, give us a call if we can help you position yourself for a lower tax bill next year. Um, so great and very important topic.
2: No doubt. No doubt. All
1: right, and that leads us up here to our question of the
2: week. Yeah, this question has to do with um, uh, student loans, and if two people get married, the question is: Is do I marry your student loans as well? And <laughs> the short answer is is no. I mean, the, the student loan debt is is on that person's credit mm-hmm. history and so legally. Forth. What's that? I said legally. Yeah, the legally. That's right. But you know, there's. Um, it, it will weigh you down in other ways. I mean, if you have two incomes and one income is dedicated towards paying that student loan debt off, it's going to impact your your ability to save for emergency funds and and, uh, and retirement. So you know, legally, it's not on your on your, your you know on your specific credit history. But as a couple, it speaking, definitely it definitely impacts you.
1: Yeah, from a practical standpoint, I mean, yeah, you get married, you, you assume. You know, in your whole situation, it's going to become your burden, too. So that's what marriage is about, right? I mean, two become one.
2: And we would definitely recommend getting some some marriage counseling before you get married. Um, I I like seeing people go through FPU, Dave Ramsey's uh, Financial Peace University class, because it gets people on the same page, and you kind of put everything out before. It's a surprise, (laughs) because I've seen that before.
1: That's exactly right. Okay, good one. All right, that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call during regular business hours at 706 739 0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages in June. Money, 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 money. Money welcome back to money md where the money doctors are in the house i'm steve marbert a certified financial planner and i'm here with john travis who's a dave ramsey local provider and uh we're going to lead off our uh second segment here with a new topic and that is the psychology of savings um yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting here. I, I love articles and, and, and just learning about the psychology mm-hmm. behind things because, you know, I mean, human behavior is... Is kind of predictable if you study it.
2: It, it really and, is, uh, and we do segments on on this topic uh, occasionally. And this guy actually came from a, a source. Uh, it's called Marketing Pro that we um, that we use. But um, you know, Dave Ramsey has um, a, a lot of things that are psychological in nature. And let me give you an example. Um, he recommends that when you do paying off your debt, um, he recommends that you pay off the smallest balance first. Versus the highest interest rate, yep. and there's some financial professionals out there that disagree with that. And so his reasoning is, if you can pay off the small ones first and get some wins yep. and celebrate, you can build momentum and you will get through the debt faster than if you started with the highest interest rate one. That's, exactly. that's psychological.
1: No, I agree. You know, you pick the low hanging fruit. Um, you know, it's the same principle. Yeah, you want to build some momentum. And uh, you start with the, you know, when you have your jobs on Saturday you're doing, you start with the easiest thing,
2: right? You want to start
1: building some momentum, you know? And it's the same thing with paying off debt. I I, I
2: totally agree. It's not about math. And he, I've heard him talk to people before, and they're like, well, why wouldn't you pay off the highest interest rate? And he said, well, it's not about math. And then he, in Dave's fashion, says, if it was about math, you wouldn't be in debt.
1: <laughs> that's exactly right? right.
2: Dave has a way of saying that and getting away with it. But, um, yeah. you know, Steve, th- there are some reasons why households save money more than others um, and have better financial. It boils down to um, psychology. And and building household savings may depend not only on cash flow, but also on psychology. With the right outlook, savings becomes a commitment. With a less positive outlook, it becomes a task. And tasks and chores a lot of times are, are postponed until, you know, another time. You know, people put those kind of things off. So financially speaking, when you're saving, that is like winning, okay? And sometimes that lesson is lost, however, to some people, saving feels like losing. They're losing money that could be spent. Um, and so there's a person out there, Ellen uh, Rogen and, and Lisa Kyung, um, they did a, a, a book called Smart Money Moves to Turn Your Vision into Reality. And they, <coughs> excuse me, they cite a per- perceptual difference. If people are asked if they can save 20% of their income, The answer may be a resounding no, but if they ask if they can live on 80% of their income, that may seem more reasonable. So it's how you kind of position uh, the phrase, and and there probably is a gap between perception and behavior. Since 2001, Gallup has asked Americans a poll question, thinking about money for a moment. Are you the type of person who enjoys spending money or enjoys saving money? That's an interesting question.
1: That that is. You know, for John, for me, it depends on what I'm spending it on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if I'm spending it on golf and vacations, yeah, I enjoy spending more than I do saving. But, uh, but no, I mean, I, I I think they make some good points here. You know, and I think you gotta you gotta put yourself in that mindset. You gotta see it growing, mm-hmm. right? I think mm-hmm. you want to be you want to have a very visual, you know, image of of what you want to get to as well. So you have to kind of trick yourself into to really enjoying the savings part of the process <clears throat> if that's not your natural bent. But yeah, while more respondents have chosen saving money over spending in every year the poll has been conducted, the difference in the responses never exceeded five percent in 2001 to 2006. But then in 2009, it hit nine percent, and it has been eighteen percent or greater ever since.
2: I think it's the Dave Ramsey effect.
1: It could be. Maybe. I mean, it's amazing. It really is. It's a big. I mean, that's a big difference. Um, uh, you know, unfortunately, we're going to see later, it, it doesn't quite mean what yeah, we it think it means. Translate. It doesn't translate. Exactly. Because, I mean, 62% of respondents said they preferred to save instead of spend, with only 34% saying that they prefer spending now. That's very interesting. So, you know, so are we a nation of good savers? Well, not to the degree the polls might suggest. I mean, the most recent data available from the Commerce Department shows that the savings rate is at 5.5 percent it's only a percentage higher than two years ago you know but it's subpar historically because back during the 70s the savings rate was actually 11.8 percent and in 1990s it averaged 6.7 percent so it's still lower than it was back in the 90s even though people say they enjoy saving more
2: yeah marketing companies are good at taking you and extracting it from your wallet they are what it blows I, down to I amazon think, is one of those right
1: exactly i think people save it and then they turn around and spend it mm-hmm. you know they they think they've saved it but then they keep hitting up their emergency fund or wherever they put it
2: you know what a good um exercise is and um it's, something that we recommend periodically is, is to do a net worth statement um that's kind of a once a year exercise if you look at your assets you look at your liabilities um and then you come out with a net worth and so exactly if you're paying down debt and you're saving some it'll show you step by step over the course of time how you're progressing that's a very positive visual it's not a daily thing it's it's once once a year so net worth statement is something that you can do to um to maybe help you save more there's some other things as well automated retirement plan contributions that can certainly assist with um, the growth of savings um that basically is a means of of paying yourself first we recommend that when someone comes in and they say well no i'm going to write a check um, you know, and send it in on a monthly basis. Sometimes that doesn't happen. If you set it up electronically, it happens every single month. Oh, yeah, it's got to be automatic. That's mm-hmm. right. So you could also maybe do an envelope system. Um, Dave Dave talks about this a lot. Household basically divides its paychecks into different envelopes, and you assign certain money to envelopes. Uh, when the envelope is empty, um, you can't spend any more. Uh, that's a very psychological impact. Um, you, so you never want to see that envelope empty, and, um, you know, leaving a little aside each month that can be saved. Households that take this incremental approach, they start by saving one or two cents of every dollar they make, and they gradually increase that percentage um, as as their households permit. So this, you know, these are some simple concepts, but, but they're effective. I mean, they, they work, and frugality yeah. may help as well. A decision to live on 70% or maybe 80% of your household income frees up some dollars for, for savings as well. Another route to, to building this nest egg is to invest at least the accumulated consumer savings that you realize at the mall or the supermarket um, or, you know, or the recycling center uh, even pocket change over time so taking that and putting it into savings. One of the things, um, Steve that I'm a big believer in and I've, I've heard you talk about it before and I've heard you know Dave talk about it, is just being intentional exactly. about savings making sure that you write a check and you put it over to X and you write a check and you put it to Y. If you're not intentional and talk about it a lot of times these things won't happen. So you've got to think about it and talk about it. Yeah, that's a good
1: point. It's not going to happen by accident. You know, you have to have to be intentional about it. Yeah, so, you know, another way of looking at it, though, is how many households budget like businesses? You know, perhaps we should because... As a business owner, you know, or manager, or an executive, you realize that savings uh, through this approach does work. I mean, take it line by line. What they do, and they will, you know, a business they'll cut they'll cut across the board, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if you're spending, you know, so much for, you know, per week for uh,
2: office supplies, office whatever.
1: supplies, take whatever or food, you know, twenty to twenty two hundred dollars a week. You know, if you cut ten percent out of that, it's twenty dollars less each week. At the supermarket, that would translate into one thousand forty dollars saved annually, mm-hmm. so a little bit cut across the board, it does work, and it will it will add up to big savings over time so that 's one way of looking at it um, also I mean, working with financial professionals may encourage you to have greater savings. There was a study done recently on workplace retirement participation. And, you know, they had a couple of details that affirmed this. They said while employees who chose to go without input from a financial professional contributed an average of 7.8% of their incomes to their retirement accounts, employees who sought input from a professional they actually averaged 9.5 percent so that's an extra heck probably 20 percent that yeah. went into their plan because they had some accountability
2: yeah and that makes a huge difference over over time so the study also learned that 74 percent of the employees who had turned to financial professionals understood how much money their accounts needed to amass for retirement compared to 54 percent of employees not seeking such help that, Talking about a retirement plan, there exactly we uh, we beat on that one quite a bit. So saving money really should make anyone feel great if it, it means effectively paying yourself or at least building cash up on hand. A household with a safe first financial approach may find itself making progress towards near-term goals and long-term money goals. So. You know, some of the savings is is emergency funds. Some of it is paying off debt. Some of it is retirement. And so it's making sure you have those priorities. Dave talks about seven baby steps um, that you follow. But it's just sitting down and talking about it. Um, you know, and communicating and, and there is a huge psychological value to, um, to to understanding your finances. I mean, it's been it, proven.
1: Exactly. And I think the takeaways from this are you want to set yourself up for success, you know, and psychological is a big part of that. You know I mean? It's like putting the the goals on your refrigerator, yeah, right? Absolutely. And having a bar chart showing how much you're saving toward, toward your vacation or toward some long-term goal. I think that's a very effective tool. The envelope system is very mm-hmm. effective. Having things automatic, having some accountability built in with a professional or somebody that, you know, that that you can meet with occasionally to give you some accountability, all those things will set you up for success. Yep, absolutely. And that's what you want to do. And that's the big psychological part of it. Okay, that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD right back.
0: I'm not going to
1: back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner. And I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider. And we are going to lead off our last segment here with the prescription of the week.
2: Well, Steve, when we do research, we don't always coordinate on our topics. So we've already talked a little bit about this, which it's is true. okay. Uh, it's an important one. But uh, prescription of the week is to consider a, a health care savings account for your high deductible medical plan. And uh, what we talked about earlier is... For a family, you can put in about $6,650. Uh, if you're over 50, you can put another $1,000 in. So this is a, a way to um, shield uh, income from taxes. So you get a tax break on the front end. You can actually put that money in there, and you can invest it in the mutual funds that, that you have in your plan and and use it as a retirement account. Exactly. We've seen estimates on uh, retirement medical expenses being, you know, quarter of a million dollars in retirement. Everybody thinks... We're going to spend it on just fun stuff, but the reality is, is a big portion or a portion of your retirement is going to be spent on medical, and this is a great account, because when you pull it out on the back end, there are no taxes.
1: Yeah, and what people don't realize, I think, is the power of this. You know, $6,650 a year is a lot of money, mm-hmm. and if you put that in, and if you invest it, and we actually have ours with the Health Savings Administrators, I think is the name of it. Mm-hmm. Um, is the is where I have ours through, and you can you can get mutual funds inside of there. So I put all of mine in just a normal index fund for the stock market, right? And it's amazing to see what that has done over 10 years, because think about it. If you put $6,650 in for 10 years, you're putting in $66,500 in. That's your
2: basis, right? That's
1: your basis. And what if it doubles over 10 years, mm-hmm. which it very well could do? Right. Um, well, you would have 132000 $133,000 in an account that you can use for medical expenses So, I mean, at that point, forget long term care insurance. You have a great tool. To replace long term care insurance or, or any mm-hmm. other, you know, to augment your medical expenses down the road.
2: Yeah, it truly is. A, it's a unique account. Not a lot of people understand Tax-free. it or know about it. So, uh, something you certainly want to look at. If you have questions on that, you can certainly reach out to us um, info at moneymd.net. You can send us an, an email.
1: Exactly. Okay. Good, good prescription of the week. And that leads up here to our last topic, and that is talking about the the U.S shell oil boom that uh, we've experienced here over the past you know seven years i'll say six seven years unfortunately that has turned a little bit to gloom john mm-hmm. um here recently because yeah the shell oil boom that pushed the u.s crude production to the highest levels in four decades is starting to grind to a halt um due to the low prices now i mean output from the from the prolific tight rock formations in the Balkans, like North Dakota, um, they'll decline by 57,000 barrels a day, the Energy Administration is predicting in May. And it's the first time the agency has forecast a drop in the output since it began issuing this back in 2013. So it's pretty remarkable how fast the market has adjusted to lower oil prices, and, and demand is real. Our
2: production is really starting to drop off. Right, and there's there's numerous groups out there that have projected the uh, U.S. oil production growth will end. Um, maybe it's temporary, maybe not. But uh, they're looking at a new six-year low. Some shale producers, including Conoco and uh, EOG Resources, have predicted output would begin declining before the end of this year as uh, the industry aggressively cuts back. You know their production, and the plunge in prices um, has already forced half of the country 's drilling rigs offline and it 's wiped out thousands of jobs wow um, yeah it 's really interesting a lot you 're right the economy does really shift quickly to of these. And when we say quickly, we're talking about months. We're not talking about days or, or weeks yeah, necessarily. It hasn't, it hasn't
1: been years. No, I it mean, hasn't. you know, it, 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 the price started dropping last fall, and all of a sudden, half the, 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 the production is offline, or half the rigs are offline.
2: Yeah. That's a lot. It is a lot, and thousands of jobs that have been lost. There's a gentleman out there. He's a head of oil and gas for Frost and Sullivan. Uh, his name is Carl Larry. He says we're going off a, a cliff. Um, he said the question is is how fast is the decline going to go? If it's fast, if it's steep, there could be a big jump in the market, you know, from a, a cost standpoint. So we've seen oil, you know, stabilize over the last couple of months, but it's still. really low. It's in the 50s.
1: Yeah, it's in the 50s. It's gone down a lot from where it was a year ago, no doubt. I mean, it was over $100 a barrel, I believe. And, uh, yeah, in February, the uh, EOG Resources, which is the largest U.S. shell producer, predicted U.S. production would fall by the end of the year. And they said that the crude market would rebound quickly and label the current downturn as a short cycle. Um, Of course, they're a producer. I mean, that's what they have to say. Mm -hmm. You know, they they said that its own production would bottom in the second and third quarter, resulting in the output roughly even with last year. However, Conoco CEO um, said U.S. production is falling in the second half of the year and is helping boost prices in the next three years to as high as $80. Um, so what they say is that, you know, there's a supply response happening here. You don't see it in the first half of the year because of the investments they've made over the last two years. Um, <clears throat> he said the reductions in the capital that the industry has made are substantial and that that's going to start to materialize back in the second half of this year. So basically what they're saying is, you know, there is a lag, but mm-hmm. they're starting to to – to really put a lot
2: less in and they're expecting production to drop way off yeah and you know steve we've had you know discussions in the past about making decisions based on headlines we're quoting a lot of quote experts they have no clue the true direction of what's going to happen Um, i mean we could go into a global recession and the the um, price stays down low for for years so i see people trying to make decisions you know, I have people asking about, should we invest in oil, you know, at this point? And, you know, we see these headlines. Um, no one knows. I mean, That's true. No one, there weren't a lot of people predicting the drop that we had. So just be careful uh, as you as you listen to headlines and so forth. And, you know, when you look at the decline in domestic production um, that will come just from the U.S. refineries, um, more oil um, is going to be offline due to seasonal maintenance. And so, you know, there may be um, less oil available. I mean, we've seen the production. Going down, the withdrawal from the U.S. stockpiles ex- is expected to bring relief to to a market that's seen prices drop by more than fifty dollars a barrel since June. Now, the relief may be just temporary, as U.S. drillers are building a backlog of drilled wells as they plan to, um, you know, fracture some more in place and uh, place uh, into service some other places, and uh, the, so the prices may rebound. But I mean, bottom line is, is there's a lot of dynamics going on in this industry. Um, some of it. Um, is predictable, most of it is not
1: yeah, I mean they, was one analyst said that there 's more than three thousand uncompleted wells out there that they started, but they stopped, mm-hmm. apparently because of the the old you know price downturn, I thought that was a pretty amazing stat. Um, just tells you how fast the the market changed, and u s production they say can recover pretty quickly you know there 's an analyst at Morgan Stanley here who says the backlog of uncompleted wells um, the failing falling service costs the the hedging opportunities, plenty of capital on the sidelines that should all support investment and perhaps Um, More than the market expects, so he's kind of predicting a recovery. The EAI, uh, which is the Energy uh, Administration, Energy something Administration. Industry, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Um, Their May production forecast, um, they say that accounts for about 90% of the growth. uh, You know, they're forecasting the yield from major players together will account for about 90% of the growth from from uh you know what did from 2011 and 12 the regional output is also dropping dramatically you know, they just give some numbers here: 20, thirty-three thousand barrels a day, twenty-three thousand barrels a day. Um, you know, drop just in May in the two big
2: regional producers. Yeah, we were talking about this at the break. How, <clears throat> excuse me, the strength of the dollar, um, you know, is resulting in some of the the reduction in prices as well as um, the, just the um, the fracking and so forth. But we're starting to see the shift in the global economy. Goods over the in the, in the uh, world are cheaper now yep. because of the. The, the strong dollar and the, the cheap euro and, and, and yen and so forth. So these things take time to move, you know, but things are moving.
1: Markets do adjust very quickly. Free markets work. Capitalism works. And, you know, what I take away from this, John, I mean, is markets very quickly adjust. And, um, you know, lower prices are going to mean, um, you know, more, more consumption and less production. And eventually that's going to stabilize. Mm-hmm. The good news is OPEC's no longer in control of this process yeah that's a nice right?
2: that's a nice output
1: we're now the biggest producer and we're producing like four million barrels a day or we have that capability um, you know more than we did just seven years ago I believe mm-hmm. I was reading recently and so you know we're, we're the market is now in control of this and
2: that's a good place to be and it's also good for, for, for consumers I mean it's nice that it is. gas is still in the Two dollar range, um, you know, and that's a fantastic place for consumers. It really
1: is. So, you know, I'm not worried about this in the least. I know no. that it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna settle out, mm-hmm. and it's gonna be good for consumers. And I think it's gonna be good for the economy overall. Yeah, but, uh, So that's that's good news. Okay, well, this brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD with John and Steve. Tune in next Saturday from nine to ten a.m. to hear more prescription for your financial health. Do check us on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at moneymd.net. You can also give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Have a good
0: one. Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed local provider is an endorsement of customer service Only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, securities sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC.